We've seen this storyline before. Upon emerging from a market correction, investor focus shifts to the many future challenges we may have created from the remedies we applied to get out of the prior mess. And so we've begun to fear, yet again, the inflation boogeyman, government outreach, runaway taxation, societal breakdown, cats and dogs living together, and all the mass hysteria that'll go along with. You are correct. I mean to be somewhat dismissive of all that fuss. In our work, we seek always to remain vigilant to fresh challenges. And in seeking to do so, we will look to incorporate cyclical and secular macroeconomic dynamics into our portfolios. But cyclical and secular generally do not include the instant and the overtly dramatic. And it certainly requires that we consider the world first in its broadest terms before narrowing those terms to factors to which we feel compelled to respond. Since the topic has become much more prevalent within market watcher discussions since the U.S. presidential election, let's focus on inflation. It's been more than a bit interesting to hear the shift in tone with regard to the reflation trade, which is the idea that the jumpstart spending let loose to counter the pandemic will ignite strong economic growth, ultimately bolstering corporate profits. Once considered a positive factor for stock markets with regard to emergence from the pandemic, discussions seem to have shifted to the suggestion that efforts to hasten the rebound will lead to excess inflation, as Build Back Better is now more often being seen as too much too much, just too much. Hard not to hear an echo in these discussions from the early stages of the financial crisis. It was a broadly different type of crisis, of course, but similarly grand gestures that at first were seen as economy-saving in time became potential triggers for inflation, even hyperinflation. Well, the world since has demonstrated there was little need to have worried, as developed country central banks around the world have fought hard just to hit existing inflation targets, mostly without success, sometimes even battling potential deflation rather than having to battle runaway inflation. Now, we don't mean to suggest that there's nothing to see here. The fact of ongoing government largesse around the globe may have some potentially grand implications for inflation on a going forward basis. But how might that work? Well, more dollars in more folks' pockets means more dollars to spend on goods. One might assume that producers would react to more dollars chasing their goods by raising prices. Hence inflation. But is it really that simple? I don't think so. Nothing seems ever that simple when it comes to finance or economics. To demonstrate what I mean, please allow some time for the hypothetical. Extending the more money in folks' pockets leading to inflation scenario, what happens when producers eye the expanding profit enabled by their higher prices? Right. In theory, more production comes online as each producer seeks to grab a bit more of that excess demand for itself. And don't forget that in a fully operational trade-length world, producers can target markets anywhere. There's potentially a delay for that production to come online, of course, but this bit of macroeconomic theory is just as valid as that which suggests we will see higher prices as more dollars chase fewer goods. And with financing for such projects in no short supply whatsoever, either from governments still focused on recovery or private lenders eager for yield, where production capacity is wanted, it should easily find funding. So in time, more goods might be produced to chase those extra profits, and inflation might ease. Now, let's further assume, and history suggests that this is a pretty fair assumption, that goods producers all seeking to grab a bit of that extra profit overestimate how much of that profit will exist just for them in the future. That is, it is theoretically possible that production that's more than ample to ease inflation comes online. So now we have too many goods chasing a given level of dollars. What, in theory, happens to the prices then? Well, they should fall. Hmm. 
I recall from my days covering technology stocks that the chip industry has seen many such cycles in history. They begin with more dollars chasing fewer chips, producing a rise in chip prices that drives excess profits, that incentivizes more production, that turns out to be too excessive, that leads to a glut in chips with both prices and margins collapsing as a result, after which demand for chips continues to rise as producers remain wary of adding production, up to a point, of course, at which excess profits become too enticing and the cycle continues anew. We might even allow for obvious further complications of the scenario. In a world of thrift, buyers may see rising prices and change their spending habits. They might buy something else or nothing at all. Fewer dollars chasing the same amount of certain goods and more dollars chasing others. Where does the inflation happen then? Context matters, too. And in the present COVID-induced inflation scenario, for any given industrial situation, we'd have to estimate the potential decline in dollars from unemployment and underemployment, as well as the offset of those declines by the increase in dollars from government outlays. We would then offset the supply side of the equation with reduced supply from COVID-related shutdowns and slowdowns, both for the companies that produce a specific good we might be considering, and then for those companies behind them in the production chain that supply the inputs for that production. All those various slowdowns may put upward pressure on prices all along the production chain. Prices are rising, but maybe profits aren't? Right. We have to estimate how much of that increase in input costs gets passed on down the line. That is, we could have different rates of inflation at each point in the chain of value addition for an end good as, at each point, producers may make different choices with regard to balancing profits against competitiveness. Case in point, and back to computer chips, there's a Bloomberg article this week that discusses car makers struggling with a chip shortage. As a result, some have chosen to reduce the level of technology they incorporate into their cars. So in-car displays may shrink. Navigation systems might be left out. Nice extras become no-can-dos. Some car makers have resorted to parking cars on lots, mostly complete, awaiting eventual delivery of those missing chips. How might those varying responses impact the pricing of cars? Well, automakers could leave prices alone, or they could lower prices, or they could raise prices. But then we'd have to figure out how buyers might react, given the varying responses to the chip shortage each car maker deploys, which may include shifting the mix of vehicles produced. The buyer reaction function will then need to resolve an evolving mix of vehicles and prices for those vehicles, which ultimately will have an impact on the average price of all vehicles sold. Oh. And we've only discussed the new car market so far. Many new car shoppers will consider used cars in the decisions as well. And used cars can be sold by dealers and by individuals, expanding the universe of suppliers and their motivations to sell to be considered by any model we might build. Lots of things are in short supply, of course, as global shipping lanes are chock full of delayed shipments let loose from the world's emergence from the depths of the pandemic. This even as certain groups of products remain in short supply as production has been slower to come back online. For example, chips again, video cards for personal computers are in short supply too. Prices have soared as a shortage born of the COVID crisis has been amplified by the potential profits to be earned from using the powerful chips in these cards to mine cryptocurrencies. Hard to tell, though, which factor weighed more heavily in driving prices higher. Even more, turns out both pressures may ease as shipping lanes opened and, apparently, the complicated blockchain mechanics of certain cryptocurrencies driving demand for video cards shift to make computationally intensive mining less profitable or even unnecessary. Again, it's complicated. 
So what started out as a simple suggestion that supply shortages will cause prices to go up leads to an array of divergent thoughts on whether that statement is true, partly true, a bit off base, or just wrong. So back to economy-wide inflation metrics. The fact is, we already have begun to see increases in aggregate inflation. A rather obvious cause of this increased inflation, deemed a base effect, is the fact that prices of many goods actually fell at the onset of the pandemic, such that a good portion of the inflation over the past year is just us getting back to where prices were before the pandemic, but not all. Shortages combined with the release of pent-up demand can be seen as creating a supply-demand imbalance that has applied further upward pressure on prices. But it's hard to tell how these trends will play out over time, and this is before we begin to consider to what extent government spending might lead to excess demand and further inflationary pressure. So where does that leave us with regard to going forward inflation? So here's my best effort. While I have a pretty good idea, mostly based on actual near-term data, that inflation will be higher in the near term, as mostly expected, we continue to believe that, on balance, well after we've moved beyond the pandemic and have settled into an environment in which, at least through this administration, we see higher government spending than usual, counterposing pressures will leave inflation higher, but ultimately near to a target level of comfort that, since the Great Recession at least, has been tough to achieve. So maybe we'll just be fine? We just don't know. What we do know is that, since inflation has been top of mind for so many for more than a decade, we imagine trends will continue to be widely watched, with any necessary adjustments to policy likely already being developed in case the need arises. My intention for this month's notes was not to focus on my thoughts on where inflation might be henceforth. Rather, I wanted to support the idea that one must be expansive in one's efforts to resolve future scenarios for the purposes of adjusting current portfolio allocations. Easy to see, though, that such thought processes may in the end provide no answers, only more questions. Of course, there's little exciting in a discussion like that for broad audiences, back of the enveloping a theoretical future that weights ceteris paribus far too heavily is far easier and generally far more newsworthy. But we know that all other things being equal never happens. Even a universe narrowed to just the global macroeconomy is one littered with tiny levers that interact in manners impossible to model without making a host of estimations that ultimately leave the final answer far less of a mathematically driven conclusion than often is suggested. Nonetheless, we spend a good deal of time doing the sorts of mental deductions as those we've covered so far in this episode. Take an idea and allow the discussion to incorporate the many variables one might encounter and the range of outcomes the future might hold for a particular investment time horizon. We then narrow those outcomes to some manner of most likely and make what we believe to be defensibly modest adjustments to portfolio exposures as a result. And we do this because we believe this process, just like markets in general, trades the risk of being divergent from shorter-term developments that, by the way, likely could not specifically have been foreseen in any systematic matter anyway, in favor of the potential greater benefit from portfolio positioning decisions that have more defensible underpinnings in the context of longer-term trends. Importantly, past performance is not indicative of future results. The foregoing commentary is not presented as an investment recommendation. The approach described may not be right for everyone. No one listening to this commentary should take our comments as advice specific to 
or appropriate for their individual situations. Individual circumstances should be taken into consideration when determining a suitable investment approach. All investing carries risk.